welcome to the second episode of Kathy's Bald Move. Today you will be meeting my father-in-law, Vince. Now, I do have other guests lined up that are not members of my family, but I think the fact that my two first guests have been people that are very close to me just really highlights the fact that cancer really doesn't discriminate and that we can all be impacted by it, and sometimes more than once. Now, strangely enough, Vince, like my mum, had Hodgkin's disease, so cancer of the lymph nodes. He had symptoms for six to eight months before he was eventually diagnosed before his 40th birthday. Vince is quite the storyteller, so I hope you enjoy listening to him articulate his experience as much as I did. So I'm lucky enough to have Vince here today, and he's going to talk about his experience with Hodgkin's disease. So he, similarly to my mum, had Hodgkin's, and he also had bladder cancer. So I thought that we'd just start by talking about your experience with Hodgkin's. Firstly, thank you for agreeing to share your story. That's okay, Kathy. I'm glad to share it. So I just thought we'd begin by talking about what was going on in your life prior to your diagnosis with Hodgkin's and roughly how old were you at the time? Well, it was uh, just before my 40th birthday, actually, and it probably started about six to eight months prior where I kept on getting a lot of sweating and I had some lumps underneath my armpits. And I'd actually been to the doctor and I was because I was feeling a bit tired and they thought they were just um, cyst and there was no issues. But it, it kept on consistently um, coming up and swelling. And so I eventually went back again. And uh, as I said, it was probably about six to eight months later. And that's when they took it a bit more serious and uh, we got some tests done. And it was really interesting because... Um, when they got the test done, they'd cut my throat to take some samples of it. And that's when they actually found out exactly what the problem was and diagnosed it as being Hodgkin's disease. So that was in uh, 2000, yeah. It was interesting because it was about a week before my 40th birthday when we got the phone call from Dr. Gary Lane, who rang me to tell me that, uh, that I had cancer but uh, he actually said to me at the time that if you were going to get any cancer, that was probably the best one to get because the cure rate at that time was was quite high. And obviously it is because I'm still here today. Well, and you know what, it's funny that you say that because that's exactly what the doctor said to my mum when she got diagnosed. He said, if you do get cancer, it's the one that you want because it's got you know a 75% um, survival rate. And that was... 40 years ago. And isn't it really strange that most people would know this, that um, Kathy's mum actually lived about three doors down from me in Avondale Heights. So, hmm, bit of a cluster of uh, Hodgkin's disease in Avondale Heights in those days. Do we think there's something going on in Avondale Heights or something in the water? Oh, possibly, possibly. Mm. So you'd had these symptoms for, what, six to eight months and... Like that's quite a long time to be going through those kind of symptoms. When you did get the call and he said, look, it's Hodgkin's, like how did you feel? Were you relieved that you finally knew what was going on? Were you afraid of what was to come? What, what was going through your mind? Well, it was a bit of... It was a bit sad, actually, because we were having dinner one night. We are having family dinner, and 
and uh, we because it was a, a week out from my birthday party, we we'd already um, booked a place and sent invitations out. So it was probably a bit concerning because I didn't really understand what Hodgkins was and what the next few years was going to bring. So it was, uh, yeah, it was an interesting time. But um, Joanne, being what we call Dr. Google, um, had had done some research, little did I know, and prior to it. So she was really on top of it. And she, she actually um, approached the children, all three of them, and started explaining to them what was happening and possibly what was going to happen. So for me, it was just a bit of time to take note of what was coming. But as I said, I didn't know what was going to be happening coming forward. Um, It wasn't until probably about a week later after they actually got the diagnosis and everything started moving very quickly that the doctors had told me what the plans were. Um, The plans were obviously chemotherapy and some radiation that was uh, planned. So Joanne, so your wife Joanne, so she had a feeling that it was Hodgkin's. She knew that there was something definitely not right. And she said that you were getting comments from doctors that you had infected sweat glands. So how grateful are you now, the fact that she didn't give up until you did get those answers and that I think it was a doctor that wasn't normally at your clinic, wasn't it? That she said, look, just go over the notes and just make your own decision. I don't think it's infected sweat glands. Yeah, 100%, Cathy. Um, <laughs> it was more from Joanne's persistence and trying to find out what was going on. Um, who knows what stage it would have got to and how bad it would have got. But uh, being a bloke, I guess... We just sort of copped it on the chin and just said, no, 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 you're wrong, Joanne. All the doctors are saying completely opposite. What would you know? But I have to say, in, in this case, yeah, 100%. I'm glad that she did do the constant bugging and persistence in trying to get find out answers what was going on. So you had some time to kind of gather what was going on after you got that phone call and then Joanne told the kids what was going on did you find out what their initial reaction was so they were what, eight ten and twelve at the time yeah and I guess that's when the emotion starts coming in when you start thinking about all the negativity side of it you know what was going to happen to where would my family be what did I need to do to prepare myself how do I approach this with them um, how do I approach this with my extended family as well? So there was a lot of things going from my mind. I was also doing a fair bit of travelling in those days as well. So, yeah, there was career and what was I going to do for work and, you know, what was going to happen with money-wise. It was, it was pretty uh, full-on, actually, yeah. So you said you were trying to sort of think about what the next steps were going to be and trying to prepare... In terms of what you mentally thought, okay, how am I going to prepare for this and the reality of how your life changed, was it something that you could prepare for or do you think that it is something that you just have to take it as it comes? I think mentally I've always been quite strong. So it was going to be what it was going to be. Um, I accepted that after I got that diagnosis. So 
I was I, mentally I was I was fine. I was more concerned about the planning side of things and how how things would continue. But for me, mentally, no, I, th- I think I was quite strong and I was prepared to do what I had to do and just cop it on the chin. So you said it was within a week of getting the Correct. diagnosis? Correct. So you started the treatment. So just talk me through what did your life look like after you... Yeah, well, things changed dramatically. I mean, I had to go into work and explain that I'd had Hodgkin's disease and that I'd really need some time off and... The, bo- the boss I had at that time, Warren Walker, who's unfortunately now passed away, um, he was fantastic. They they supported me and said, you just do what you've got to do. Um, what was involved was we had to, Joe and I went to um, Freemasons Hospital and this Victoria, Victoria Parade, and that's where I met up with Dr. Professor Michael Green and uh, we started our chemotherapy actually at that same location. What was involved? It was virtually sitting there all day, getting the chemotherapy put through the drip um, and just the nurses working with us just to see what reaction I was getting and stuff like that. I do recall the first couple of times it was quite hard because I actually felt the chemotherapy fighting against my body and I was feeling very very sick at the time Um, and I was doing that um, once every two weeks but as soon as you have the chemotherapy is and a lot of patients will know this is once you get it into your system it takes about two to three days to get it out so there was many times where I'd be in bed for the next couple of days with the cold sweats and not not being able to taste anything just trying to get it out of your system and that went on for close to 12 months having the chemotherapy yeah then unfortunately I um uh, one of the side effects was I got a very bad cough because my um Hodgkin's is actually in my chest there was three lumps in my chest which they couldn't operate on at all and because I got this cough I uh, wasn't able to complete my radiation because I just couldn't lay on the slab while they were trying to do the radiation I kept on coughing so much and I think I might have done two or three or four sessions only and they just said no we just can't do this with you you um you're just coughing so much can I just backtrack so when you were telling the people at work that you had Hodgkin's did they know what it was or did you have to explain what it was to them? To be honest with you, I didn't really know much about it myself. So I was um, a bit in the dark like they were. I just tried to explain as I was learning. I was learning every day, learning from the doctors and learning from Joe what uh, what to expect and stuff like that. So, yeah, I honestly couldn't say that I, I knew exactly what was going on or, or how it was going to be treated until we started the process and when they found out your work did something um to support you can you can you share that story yeah it was my boss and some other um people i'd work with uh and got together with the organization that um i belonged to was the automotive aftermarket association and they actually had a dinner put together and a lot of the suppliers and people that I knew within the industry put together a raffle and uh, they had a big session, a big night. I wasn't there, obviously, because I was too too unwell. But, yeah, they got a raffle and um, raised some funds for us. Um, now, this is the days prior to 
GoFundMe pages. So this was, uh, it was really, I was outstanding by the amount of support I got and, and, and the actual fact how much money they raised for us. Do you remember how much money they raised? Yeah, it was uh, nearly twenty-three thousand dollars. Wow! Yeah, it was uh, absolutely amazing, and those people who who did put their hands in their pockets and helped me out at that stage, I, I I just I can't ever repay them. To be honest with you, the only thing I did was the ones that I did know. I made sure I actually spoke to those people personally and and thanked them, but. Yeah, we had people from interstate come in for the, the the night and for the session. It was just amazing. So I guess what a lot of people tend to forget is that going into hospital all the time, it does get very expensive. So the fact that they raised that money for you is, like you said, it's phenomenal. Now, you had another stroke of luck when you were really unwell and Joanne was coming home from, I think, a long day at the hospital. Yeah, Joanne, Joanne spent every day that I was there in hospital every single day so trying to manage the household um, organize the kids getting them to school obviously getting some support where she could but she was uh, doing everything and then she'd come into the hospital with me and uh, she actually did yeah it was one night and she hates talking about it because she's a bit embarrassed about it but she was coming home and she was just so tired and the kids um, wanted some tea and she actually called into KFC and, and at the time there was a Nestle chocolate promotion happening at the same time. So Joanne filled in this entry form or the kids convinced her to fill this entry form and then sent it off and blow me down. She gets a phone call I think a couple of weeks later and she rang me at work. And she was absolutely in tears. And I didn't know what was going on. I was just trying to calm her down. And she said, I've just had this phone call from, I think they said Nestle. I said, right. She said, I've just won $10,000. I said, what? She goes, yeah, they rang me and said, did you enter a competition? And she said, no. And they said, you did, because I've got your details in the form here. He goes, and she said, oh, yeah, I did. That's right, I did do it. She completely forgot about it, of course. Well, like, I suppose with everything going on, I mean, it, it would be very easy for something like that to slip down. <laughs> that's exactly right. So, honestly, she was just crying. And so I just, I actually rang Nestle and spoke to their marketing manager at the time and said look I don't know if this is a hoax or whatever but my wife just got a phone call and explained what happened and the person I'd spoke to said yeah I spoke to your wife um, it was me the ring and it's it's true you, you've won $10,000 and I explained to him what we were going through at that stage and he, he actually said well we're absolutely wrapped that uh, it's gone to a well-deserving family and we said well you don't realize how much it's it's actually helped. I'm not sure what Joanne spent that $10,000 on. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I think it went on hospital parking and things like oh, that. Oh, yeah, it, and bills because it's n- never cheap, even though we had um, private cover, but it's always out of pocket. So going through everything, your household was turned upside down. Like Your kids were pretty young at the time. Did you sort of have times where you would explain to them what was going on would you have times where you'd say look we're not going to talk about the treatment at the moment how did you kind of communicate that information to them well the first thing i said to joe was that i really didn't want the children coming into the hospital and seeing what was going on i didn't 
I didn't want them to see what was happening because I was just concerned of what that might leave in their minds and stuff like that. I just wanted them to see me leaving in the morning and coming back at night and sometimes they wouldn't see me because I'd just go straight to bed for a couple of days, of course, but at least they knew I was there. But yeah, we, we tried to explain to them what was happening and and pumping it up as much as we could. The sad part was that there was a lot of um, females in that same area that was in that had um, breast cancer and they were going through breast cancer and every so often um, I'd ask where so-and-so was and they'd say that they'd passed away a couple of weeks before so we're seeing a lot of that the the room consisted of maybe 15 or 20 of us going through the chemotherapy at the same time so that got a bit got a bit hard but yeah you just tried to cope with what you had and like I said um, mentally I was quite strong so I just accepted the fact that what it was going to be what it was going to be. So you tried to sort of keep things as normal as you could at home and have like keep that structure. Yep. Um, When you were in the hospital now Joanne got a bit of a nickname and it sounds like you were trying to keep things positive in the hospital as well because you said she got the nickname the cake lady because she brought cakes in all the time. Yeah, it was interesting because, and don't get me wrong, there was a lot of other people in there who had support, but I don't think anybody had the support that I had. And Joe, as I said earlier, Joe was there every single day, every single night. And we were talking about it and because they, they were constantly feeding us sandwiches and some cakes and stuff just to get our food going I said to Joe one day I said why don't we um, bring some cakes in so <laughs> she started bringing cakes in every time we went in and hence she became called as the cake lady and then like sometimes um, I would I'd walk into the room prior to Joanne walking in and the first thing they'd say to me is, is um, hi Vince but where's the cake lady <laughs> So she became more popular than you. Yeah, which I found annoying. (laughs) (laughs) And you have to be the most popular person in the room. (laughs) So, well, that would be one thing, all the cakes, but what else made you feel better while you were going through all of these, the treatment and and through the more challenging times where you were feeling particularly sick? I think um, knowing that it was coming to an end eventually, they kept on talking about how things were improving as we we're getting our tests done and it got after after the first few months when I had to start getting my red blood cells checked prior to starting the chemo in the morning and I was very lucky that every single time I went in there my red blood cells were fine they were at the right level for me to stay there but there was many days where I had people next to me who got decline and couldn't have the chemotherapy because of their red blood cells and they had to go home and seeing their faces and just listening to them because it was getting harder and harder and obviously in some cases it wasn't working for them. So I think when you're going through something this difficult a lot of people they want to help but they don't really know how. Yeah. So if you could tell someone What's a way that they can help if someone's going through something similar? What would you say to them? Yeah, look, that's, that's a very good question, actually, because a lot of people feel that they're embarrassed or they don't know what to say, so they try and keep away. And it's not because they don't want to, but they don't know what to do. And then you've got the other side where you get people that don't even 
talk about it and just come in and just sort of see me or doing things like just doing little things like mowing the lawns or just checking how things were going and just coming in and out of the house and just doing it and not even asking questions which which is yeah probably the the better of the two I don't know why we always think that we have to ask how you're going and what you know how you're feeling because the last thing uh, anyone that's sick is they want they want to be repeating themselves all the time because they might be doing it the, the same answering the same questions every single day or every second day or whatever you just get over it then there's the other people that come in and <laughs> that think that their life is worse than what you're going through and i just didn't have time for those people so in the reverse of that question don't come in and complain about little things when someone's going through something oh. challenging. I, I guess especially the mental battle of it all. Yeah. So it would be hard to kind of compute someone else complaining about something when you're trying to deal with your own stuff. Yeah, and I think that people that really know me um, will understand this when I when I say this, that, that if I don't like a particular person, I don't give them any time whatsoever. Nah, there are there are some people I just don't want to waste my time, and because because of that reason, they just it's just just so trivial against what's happening around around them and, and what's happening in the world and stuff like that. So. I always, I've always said this, you can always learn by every single person you meet. But there's some people that are just so negative that um, you just, not just, I just can't waste my time on them. Do you think after you had the experience like this, it also kind of increased that? Oh, thought? yeah, you know, you don't for really sure. You time to spend people that yeah. you're not, I suppose, getting value from. Yeah, I guess it's funny because... Being in sales, you're always talking, talking, talking. Talk the talk. Talk the talk. But half the time, I must admit, you don't listen. You're just talking (laughs) just to gather information. And 100% correct. After going through that was that I was talking, talking, talking. But I found that halfway through talking, I have no interest in listening to this person. And I just walk away. I just just don't have any time for them. All right. So... You went through your Hodgkin's treatment. You came out all clear after. Did you say it was one year? Just after, just over one year. Yep. Yep. Okay. So, how did you feel once it was all done? Well, the first thing you do is once you go through something like that, you you realise how important life is, and you don't worry about trivial things anymore. So that's why I wanted to spend so much time with the family and and sort of um, get away and spend trips with them, and you know, trying to get. Well, we actually did. We threw ourselves at the kids' sports and school and whatever we could do to make sure that we were there for them, to understand that we were there to support them, whatever we could. So that's one thing I did, and that certainly helped me personally. I'm going to remind you of that next time you <laughs> yell at me for not giving you the right cup of tea. <laughs> <laughs> right. Remember what you said. Don't worry about the trivial things. Yeah, true. All right. Now, if we fast forward to 2014. Yep. So then Another good year. You got the bladder cancer. Why was 2014? Are we saying it? Yeah. No, I've been sarcastic. Oh, okay. yeah. I thought you were going to say something like Collingwood did well in the <laughs> or something. Yeah, I don't think they did that year. No, yeah, we let's fast forward to 2014 and I'd had a couple of um, episodes of kidney stones and um, there was I was getting a bit of pain in my 
kidney area, my blood area, sorry, and I was also passing um, some blood in my urine. So off we went to the doctors and they said that they thought it was a kidney stone and so went in for the surgery and to check it out. And when I woke up, they said to me it wasn't. It was actually a little dot on my bladder and they thought it was cancer and then I needed to do some work. So we started um, going in and getting it checked and I didn't have any surgery for that, but they were certainly monitoring it and I had to go and see my doctor um, twice a year at that stage and they were constantly I was constantly spending a night in hospital where they were going into my body to check and measure and see how it was going that's actually just finished last week I went and saw that doctor and finally after five years I don't need to see him anymore because that's all um, hasn't cleared away but it certainly hasn't grown and it's just stable now so that's been ticked off so when you say you didn't have to have surgery for it so does that mean over the past six years you've just had to take medication for it yeah but i actually had to go in there and um they check it by going internally and checking the size of it and just taking photos of it and stuff like that so that was just like a day procedure just to check that so kids would have been a bit older at that point was it harder in the sense that they sort of they would have had more of an understanding what was going on or because you only had to take the medication and had to go in for those internal surgeries yeah did, yeah, did they understand what was happening? At yeah, look, the bladder cancer was much easier than the chemotherapy and the radiation period of Hodgkin's because I, I really wasn't away from them. I was like, I might be in there for a, a day surgery and then come straight out. Whereas the Hodgkin's, I, I was in hospital sometimes for a few days or a week. And I actually went into hospital probably about three or four times um, during that period. I just wasn't well having a lot of pain and stuff like that but uh and yeah well you've been through quite a lot in terms of the cancer treatment if you could give some advice to someone who was going through it what would you say to them the first thing i would say is if you're not feeling well and you go and see a doctor no disrespect to the doctor the doctor says no you're okay if you're not feeling well go and get a second opinion that would be my first thing. I don't put any blame on anybody. However, I could have been started and might have been in a different situation health-wise if they had have reacted six to eight months earlier. I was lucky that I had a wife that consistently pushed and pushed and pushed. So that would be my first thing. And next time you'll partner nags you maybe listen to what they're saying because yeah i'm not i'm not i can't i can't guarantee that's going to happen Catherine. all right but i will try all right um the second part of that is it's so important to make sure that you spend time with people that you love and you tell them that all the time it's great i mean where we are as a family at this point in time is just fantastic i'll have this gorgeous daughter-in-law interviewing me at the moment um i have a new granddaughter as well but 
we're all in a good space and it's really important that you spend time with your family don't waste your time on people that are negative don't waste your time on people that aren't going to help you or support you just work on the ones that are i mean you know this um but family dinner which is something that i reckon you probably pushed to get going I did yep yeah, um, is is a highlight to my life and I absolutely enjoy doing that and, and hearing what's going on alright so don't stop until you get answers if you don't feel well correct don't waste time on people that don't bring you joy it sound a bit like Marie Kondo but that's true and just make time for the people that you care about correct because life's too short and I've been lucky and I've just made sure that I've understood that and tried to make everybody around me happy as much as I can. So you do a very good job. Thank Always the life of the party. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Even if you are a big nerd. <laughs> 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 All right. Well, it's been a pleasure hearing your journey. Thank you so much for sharing it. It's a very brave thing. And um, I just want to say what a great job you're doing and, and this, what, this challenge you're taking on is fantastic. So 100% behind you. Thank you. So we're very lucky that I've also got Joanne here with me to share some of her experiences during Vince's journey, particularly with Hodgkins. One of the things that Vince said was when you finally did get that diagnosis, even though you knew something was, was wrong for quite some time, he said that you allowed him to kind of have a moment to comprehend everything and you told the kids what was going on and that he was sick. So can you just talk through that phone call on the night of his birthday and then how you told your kids what was going on? So the kids knew that something was going on because Vince had many tests and they knew he wasn't well. and. I told them straight away that yes, he did have cancer, but it was the type that the doctor said was curable. And we always put a positive slant on everything so that they weren't too scared. But we told them any questions at any time they could ask us and we would always tell them the truth. So if they knew that they could always come to us even though I'm sure it was very scary. We advised them all along what was going on and every time he'd have a test, we'd tell them the results. So I think it wasn't too overwhelming for them because we didn't dwell and they never saw us cry or we always put a positive slant on it. And do you think maybe because you were so open and said you can always ask about it, you know, you can come to us that you were making it I suppose not as taboo like yes. not just something that okay there's this really scary thing going on and we can't talk about it yeah definitely because I think it would be too overwhelming for kids to think what is going wrong but because he always had good positive diagnosis after every test they could see that it was reducing and getting better for all of us it wasn't as scary I'm sure it's different for other people that don't have such good positive results from tests and so forth. I imagine that a lot of the communicating was falling to you to sort of tell everyone what was going on. Now this is in the day where you know you didn't have Facebook Messenger or WhatsApp or you didn't have that 
accessibility of just being able to group message people and fill them in on what's happening. Looking back now, do you feel like it was tiring trying to fill people in all the time on what was going on and updating them? Sometimes, but most of the time, our closest friends, they were already interested in what was going on because they knew Vince was having tests. So a lot of people I didn't have to ring because they were coming or ringing and they were asking how did he go with tests and so forth. So the closest people, and they're still our closest friends, they were along for the journey. They would ring up after every test and say, how did he go? What were the results? So the people that just were acquaintances, they would say, I'm sorry to hear that. We're here for you if you need anything, but we never heard from them again virtually. So the people that were there along for the journey, that would constantly check in, they're still our best friends and it means a lot to the for the people that were like that. So it wasn't really tiring because to have people around you that care and constantly ask you how you are, how Vince is, how the kids are, everybody needs that. It's the acknowledgement that you are going through something and that they genuinely are there, not just in words. They're, they're in actions. So do you think maybe... It was almost better not having all these sort of group messages because they, I suppose it maybe forced them to be a bit more aware and, and check in. I think so. I think definitely if you're just doing a group message and then you're getting so many likes or whatever, it doesn't really mean anything. It's not the person that's coming and seeing if your grass is mowed or if the kids want to go to their house for the weekend to have a break. Social media... It's not so personal. Yeah. Now, I think what a lot of people would want to hear about is that there was something going on for so long. You know, you said before the symptoms were going on for six to eight months before you finally got an answer and diagnosis. What would you say to people, especially when you were getting yelled at by doctors for questioning them? Now, I'm not saying that you should always question doctors. They know what they're doing, but... In this case, things just weren't getting picked up. So can you just talk a bit about how you got through that and how you kept persisting until you finally got answers? We'd been to the same clinic and saw most of the doctors there, but I found all the doctors were just looking over the last doctor's notes. They weren't making their own opinion. So I went in with... There was a new doctor there. He was a locum doctor just there for a short time, and Vince was again unwell and I went in and I said to the doctor please don't read the notes just listen to what I'm telling you and he listened to what I had to say and he asked if what was the results of a particular test and I said I've never heard that word before and he said he went back through his notes then and he said that test had never been done so he said the first thing we'll do is do this one particular test So we did that test, a blood test, straight away. And the next day he rang me and he said, I've showed the other doctors in the clinic and you need to go and see a specialist straight away. So he wrote out a referral and had it waiting at the desk for me to pick up for Vince to go to a specialist. And then he went to the specialist, the specialist did a CT and it was discovered. All right, now... I'm sure there's a lot of people out there that are supporting a loved one that might be going through treatment and I know for a fact that 
the support that you gave Vince was just phenomenal. What do you think you could tell people who might be going through something that similar? How can they be, you know, good support to their loved one? Try and act normal and take the pressure off them when the phone rings, you answer it. You have to do more speaking. Well, in my case, Vince was the speaker in the family and I was more shy. I would have to make phone calls and do things that I'd never had to do before just to make everything easier for them so they can just cope with when they're unwell, just to relax when they're feeling better, to try and do things that they enjoy to do, but mostly just to keep everything normal and keep everything running smoothly in the house so they don't have that pressure. So don't feel like you have to put your life on hold because of what you're going through. Try and keep going. Try and keep normal because you need to do that for the children too. If the kids uh, see that you're not behaving normally, then they can't behave normally. Then that's putting pressure back on the sick person to think, look what I'm doing to my family. So the more normal you can make it for everybody else in the house, the easier it is on the ill person. Thank you so much for sharing, Joan. I think it's nice to hear the perspective of someone who was supporting and I think a lot of people will will find what you've said really helpful. You're welcome Kathy. Thank you so much for tuning into the second episode of Kathy's Bald Move and a really big thank you to Vince and Joe for both sharing their own journeys. I for one feel that there have been a lot of really great takeaways from that episode. Firstly, I think Vince has taught us not to sweat the small stuff. Secondly, I think the way Joe communicated with the kids during Vince's treatment was really admirable because, like we touched on in the last episode, there is so much uncertainty when it comes to cancer. So I think just making a really safe space where you can talk about it openly can really lessen that fear of the unknown and what's to come. Lastly, no one is more invested in your health than you are. And if something is really not quite right, head to the doctors and don't be afraid to ask questions or if you are then get yourself a supportive person like joanne to come to the doctors with you and don't stop until you get some answers and just a reminder that the opinions of the guests shouldn't be taken as medical advice finally i would really love it if you could leave a review and also if you think someone would really benefit from hearing this episode then please do share it with them and toodaloo for now